News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorkers podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city. I'm Professor Christina Greer here with Harry Siegel. Hi, Harry. Hey, Christina. Good morning. Good morning. Let's jump right in with some of the news from another jam-packed week in New York City. Zoom. The value of Manhattan office properties plunged by nearly 45% in 2020, according to a new study. If that holds up, this may be the $64 billion question, so to speak, looming over the future of New York. After Governor Kathy Hochul trumpeted the opening of the decades in the making $2.5 billion LRR third track, it runs through 10 miles in Nassau County, allowing for express service there, and will soon go all the way into Grand Central Station. Who do we hear from? Her disgraced predecessor, Andrew Cuomo, who uh, put out a statement of his own, claiming some credit. This is right after Cuomo announced that after spending Prince Voice time engaging with something called life, uh, that he's ready to get back into the political arena in some form, including, of course, a weekly podcast. About that tent city shelter, Mayor Adams has been building for asylum seekers in Orchard Beach using a contractor who helped construct Trump's wall. Well, a Monday night, never mind. City Hall announced it was stopping that project mid-construction and would be putting up a new facility on Randall's Island, which is already the site of several homeless shelters. City Hall says the new facility for the asylum seekers, there's 16,000 of them so far by the city's count, 3,000 just in the last week. Um, These facilities are addressing a, quote, humanitarian crisis, unquote, and therefore will be outside of the city's right to shelter law, although the Legal Aid Society and the Coalition of the Homeless say they may challenge that premise in court. Finally, uh, there was a man shoved onto the uh, subway tracks at Union Square Monday evening, helped up by uh, bystanders while his attacker remained at large. On Sunday evening, a group of women dressed in full-body green leotards beat up and robbed two 19-year-old women on a train headed into Times Square in an attack several men recorded uh, rather than interceding. Uh, those women, too, are still at large. The attacks came as first responders are mourning EMT Allison Russo, who was stabbed to death on the street in Midtown by a stranger in an unprovoked attack captured on a truly nightmarish video that, if you haven't seen, don't. On the train violence, at least, Adams and the left appear to be in rare alignment in arguing that fear is ahead of the reality now about a train system that records just about five felonies a day while servicing millions of riders. It's the opposite uh, with the asylum seekers, where Adams has blamed the far left while positioning himself, as he often does, as the sensible man in the middle. The far right is doing the wrong thing. The far left is doing nothing, he said on Monday. I mean the silence. I don't believe the silence I'm hearing. So, Chrissy, let's start with Fear City. Is New York Fear City now? How's Adams handling public safety and the perception of it if, as he says, those two things are diverging? And are they maybe diverging because he got himself elected by talking about how bad things were uh, and how he was the ex-cop capable of making them better to get himself elected mayor? Whew, that's a lot, Harry. So I think the mayor is threading this needle that is going to be interesting to continue to watch, especially as we get into winter months and the holiday season. And we know that, you know, crime seems to spike up 
near the holiday season, people are getting desperate, folks are shopping, and then we always see kind of petty crime and robberies go up. I think what's fascinating about Adams, though, is that a lot of people want a politician who's kind of in the middle. You know, they they want someone who doesn't seem like he's quote unquote divisive or too extreme in one way or the other. So Adams is like, I'm that guy, even though some of his rhetoric is wildly, you know, conservative or whatever it may be. We've talked about this before. What I also find really interesting is that on the one hand, he's ringing the alarm like Chicken Little, like the sky is falling. This is the most dangerous city in the world. <laughs> give me all the cops. Give me all the power. Give me all the guns. And then later on in the afternoon, he's like, hey, stop being histrionic. This city is safe. Why? Because I'm the leader and we're going to get it together. So which one is it? And I think, as with most things, the answer is kind of somewhere in this gray area where the city does feel more on edge than it has in the past. You can just feel kind of a palpable desperation at times with certain folks. You know, you bump into people, folks are, I think, a little less... Uh, less not less caring, but you just feel like people have a lot on their mind that has nothing to do with you. So, you know, someone like me, I keep to myself, right? It's like, I don't want to interact with people because I don't know if, you know, my interaction with you will be the one that just sets you off because you're worried about housing and school and daycare and your job and all the things, COVID. I mean, hey, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. So there's this palpable sense in the city but then at the same time, we are nowhere near the 70s and 80s, nowhere near the 70s and 80s where, you know, I always, or even, you know, say some of the 90s, but just thinking about like the opening of Biggie's first album, right? You know, the quintessential Brooklyner in my mind, not Jay-Z, but it opens with Biggie robbing folks on the train, literally talking about I'm taking high school rings too. We're not, knock on wood, even though there are felonies on the train, even though we've seen some terrible assaults, we're not in that era where to get on the subway was to literally walk into a robbery every single time. That's not where we are. So I think we need to figure out a few things, which goes back to your initial point with Adams or with, with um, the, the empty offices in Manhattan. And we know that Eric Adams has been adamant that we have to get back to work. You millennials you know, stop walking around in your pajamas, put on clothes and, and go into an office. But I do think that, you know, when cities are at capacity and functioning at capacity, we do see a decrease in sort of this petty crime because people are also around, you know? And so this kind of quasi-desolate, I mean, New York is not many people, so very rarely is it, you know, like a rural community. But when you don't have people around certain things will happen. Now, sadly, we have seen, you know, people beating up folks and robbing folks in broad daylight in front of others. But that does decrease when you have just bodies moving. And I think that's also part of Adam's strategy where he's like, listen, we need people kind of in circulation. You know, we just need kind of a, an energy back. Now, it gets a little complicated when that's razor's edge energy. But I think his whole thing is, once people are out and about and you, re you remember how much you like being out and about, you remember how much you like spending money and getting things and seeing people, we'll kind of go back to the old days. But I don't think the old days are ever possible. So we need to reimagine and we need the mayor to reimagine what do the new days look like? Because 
our 2019 days are never coming back. We've been through some things. You know, as they say, we've seen some things. So what does the mayor need to do to help us reintegrate into the city with one another with a full 2022-2023 consciousness? Because 2019-2020 is never, we're never going to see those people again. And we may never see 1987 again. And in the bad old days when, as you said, to walk to the train was to walk into a robbery every single time. At that point, the odds of a bad thing happening, a felony, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but let's say, you know, they're like one in 600,000. Yeah, as well. Right now, they're one in a million, which is the point where Mayor Adams and uh, these left-wing lawmakers, he often sets himself up in opposition to or in agreement now. Is you know, there's crime on the trains. That is his problem. There's the, that Yogi Berra line about how uh, he got asked about some restaurant. He said, nobody goes there anymore. It's too popular. And uh, <laughs> there, there, there are all these complicated potential tipping points in different directions as we're precariously balanced on some present moment and trying to figure out what our new normals are, right? Like you want to have enough people on the trains that it has a uh, a prophylactic effect that you have those Jane Jacobs eyes on the streets and eyes on the subway cars and all that. You don't want to be choked, exhausted, and physically beaten down by every single commute. And like finding that balance is really rough right now, you know, by the, the card company that keeps track, like 45% of office workers are back on any given day. I don't think we want to get back to the old hundred percent. Like, like that should beat people down, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, getting on to pack cars every morning to go into pack buildings, waiting in line for super pack lunches. But if that isn't happening, there's a real economic knockdown effect. And on the tax money that's going to, uh, uh, services and affordable housing and policing and trash collection and everything else. I think the really big question is how Adams is going to balance all that. And just last thing I'll note with winter coming up and yeah, there's going to be a robbery season around the holidays. There's also going to be even more demand on the shelters and uh, yeah. all of them. It doesn't matter whether you say they're specially humanitarian things or the proper shelter system. Whether or not you know you say the city's bound by a right to shelter, like as it gets colder more people are going to want to come inside. And, uh, you know, it really remains to be seen if the city, which is like, we got this Orchard Beach plan. It's great. You know, I mean, they hired this Trump company to actually build it and stop midway through. If they're going to have it together to handle this totally foreseeable surge that's coming and coming soon. Mm -hmm. Even if there's not many thousands of more asylum seekers coming, uh, maybe because Republican governors are sending them, which those, those people I think are really shitty people we're absolutely doing and that said i think most of these asylum seekers were coming up here on their own uh and 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 separating those two parts out is is its own complication i think it's very much in greg abbott's interest as he's running for governor against better uh better work work to 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 say uh to, to have a fight with adams and i think it's in adam's interest to say look what these evil people are doing as opposed to focusing on what the city can or can't competently do and OEM, he put in charge of a bunch of this. This is Zach Iskall, who briefly ran for mayor himself, who comes from a affluent family, is now running the Office of Emergency Management. He's a, a war veteran. It's not clear what his other qualifications are. This is also the guy who, prior to this Orchard Beach plan, where people said beforehand, it's far from the trains, there's going to be flooding, this isn't the right place, you know, put out the uh, nuclear PSA just completely out of the blue. 
like real Cold War flashback. If you've seen that, Chrissy, mm-hmm. I, I wonder about I, I have concerns and I, I eight months in, I don't know. Six months from now, I will just about the competence of this administration to handle complicated and moving situations as they come in. I think, you know, Harry, I think that might be the crux of the question that we're constantly asking on this podcast, which is, you know, we've talked about Adams and his flair for liking to perform certain duties of the mayoralty. I like that. Unlike his predecessor, Mm -hmm. who just, you know, if we could get him in New York, I will never diss de Blasio for taking naps because, you know, I believe in the nap ministry. But, you know, it just seemed like de Blasio was just disinterested in being mayor on a whole bunch of levels. But he had really good people around him. So, hey, let them run the city. Um, With Adams, I think my questions are thus. This performative aspect of him being mayor is one thing. I mean, you know, the, someone sent me a picture of him, like, you know, eating a kid's French fries. Like, those are the things that, like, endear people to a mayor. You know, it's like, it feels very sort of Koch Dinkins to me, you, where it's just like, hey, I'm around. Like, you like me. I'm charming. I make you smile when you see me. Unlike, you know, Giuliani, de Blasio, and Bloomberg, who were a little, they just were a little more bristly, prickly, brusque. Maybe it's because Bloomberg and de Blasio are Boston people. I don't know. Um But then you have some real questions, not everyone, but there are some people in his administration where I have, as my bestie would say, preguntas. I have some serious, serious questions about them. So on the one hand, he's got some really talented people who care about the city. Some have worked in city government before. And then on the other hand, I'm like, who is this suspect individual who is like super close to the mayor? One one office, two offices away from having the mayor's ear. So I think it remains to be seen, especially if something goes down, like something big, you know, whether we have a big storm or a big snowstorm or, you know, God forbid, some sort of tragedy befalls this city, is the mayor surrounded by people who can actually get us out of this? And have they been planning for said unfortunate events. That's going to be, because I mean, most of the time when something befalls a city, the response has to do with the planning of this, not necessarily the event itself. Have we walked ourselves through various scenarios? Do we know, you know, this is where I give all the respect to Bloomberg. Bloomberg was like, let's walk through all the scenarios about water and our drinking water. Let's just, let's play it out to the hilt and like protect our drinking water. You know, Ibrahim Abdul-Mateen, who's been on the, on the show, talked about that quite a bit. Like, I have a lot of respect for someone who's like, this isn't sexy. Most people don't find it interesting, but it's of the utmost importance. I don't know. And I mean, listen, reader, you know, listeners, tell me if I'm wrong. I, and I genuinely don't know who around this mayor is doing scenario planning. Who around this mayor is saying like, listen, Go to zero bond, let off some steam. I hear you. You know, like you're in the five boroughs. Make people feel good because we're on a razor's edge. But I'm going to be back here planning in case something really hits the fan. And I don't know who that is. Is it Frank Caron? Question mark. Right? Is it (laughs) the Banks brothers? Question mark. Who, you know, these female deputies that he loves talking about? You know, is it them? I don't know. And so maybe for some of us, journalists or just, inquiring minds, maybe it would be helpful if the mayor was like, listen, 
you all may think that I'm out here, you know, eating Branzino at this <laughs> restaurant and gallivanting around town. But like, I think some people, some want a little bit more the devil in the details and some of the policy that's going on. And that's not everyone. I get that. But some of us do want it. And I think it would go a long way with shutting down people who constantly have questions. People like me who are like, this is great, but it's like, just give me, throw me a little, a little biscuit here and there. And that I think would go a long way. So speaking of the bank, Banks brothers for just a minute, David Banks who ran the Eagle Academy, who has a lot of thoughts about education, who I think is a uh, queerly smart, thoughtful, and competent person who has uh, an ideology that he's looking to implement. I have real questions as he's running, like Adams, a vast power structure in the Department of Education for the first time about his implementation. So we, we went a year crossing over with de Blasio with like basically no admissions for junior high schools or high schools and something very close to a full lottery for like the top 60% of students at each level mm -hmm. brief. Um, and he just announced last week that we have a new system and it is for better or worse, a more meritocratic one where it's like the top 15% of students from each school for high school admissions and or the top 15% citywide, like make the top lottery list for their picks. You can have all sorts of thoughts about that. Save them for another pod. I do. I'm just going to say that introducing this at the very end of September, uh, right at the start of the admissions season, from a dude, David Banks, who knew last June that he was going to be the school's chancellor when Eric Adams won the primary, is a distressing sign about how much of a handle he has on actually running the giant apparatus he's on top of. To Phil Banks, the Daily News just reported, following up, by the way, on, on several tweets of mine as I saw him around town with his NYPD driver, that Phil Banks indeed has a NYPD security detail, which is funny because he's a civilian deputy mayor for public safety, but he's not nominally in charge of the NYPD. And that was a big thing when they were hiring a commissioner and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Eric Adams said in response to this and, you know, how he got his clearance, which would need a green light from the uh, NYPD's intelligence bureau. I am the Intelligence Bureau. Mm -hmm. I decide what my agencies need to get the jobs done. As it happens, I just wrote a column for the Daily News about how, about how Adams needs to show, model more humility at points, uh, given the, the challenges ahead and some of his struggles himself dealing with administrative power. However, I must say, Banks was a top-ranking former cop. He was tied up in a lot of weird corruption stuff. He's never fully accounted for that. He is a guy who knows shit and is doing the sort of planning that you're talking about, Christina. And you can see that in his public records that the city reported on and who, who he's meeting with and what he's doing. He's a busy guy right now. He's a guy who's been involved in corruption. He's dealing with contractors now. Maybe that's weird. Maybe he learned his lesson and just isn't going to cross any lines. I don't know. I'm just saying that this is the guy, Adam says, I want you doing the planning. Uh, it's you and me. And, 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 and uh, I'm on the hook here. And where de Blasio constantly hid behind NYPD procedure, like he wasn't the commissioner's boss, to hide stuff. And, oh, if my security detail was escorting my, my, my children and doing moving, I don't know about that. Those are decisions the NYPD is making. I do think there's something refreshing in Adams putting himself behind this decision, not voluntarily, 
They didn't announce this. The, the, the news reported it and asked them at a press conference, uh, but not leaving ambiguity about that and, and, and saying, even if he's ambiguous about what the buck is, you know, pretty consistently, the buck stops here. I'm going to get stuff done and you're going to judge me with results. And yes, he can buy some time and saying that and announcing plans as if they're done deals and so on. And then we see what happens when the crises hit. And if the city has measured twice so they can cut once and get these things right, because you don't get a second chance, all that's in. Like a, 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 a mayor taking ownership and accountability, I think, is a, a, a refreshing shift in this setting. And, uh, you know, when things hit, we, we know who to look at and who to point to. I don't think there's much ambiguity there. Well, see, and that's and this is the piece. Listen, I'm not saying that Eric Adams is a genius by any stretch. However, this man understands politics. Like A hundred percent. I mean, 200. like hats off curtsy the whole nine, because there is a certain, and this is like the anti-de Blasio piece, where de Blasio was always, you know, sort of like, well, that wasn't me. It's like, sir, you are the mayor. If it ain't you, who is it? Okay. So Adams is like, on the one hand, you know, he's like, I'm the HNIC. So that also means if things go down, he's like, you come to me because I'm in charge. And so I have to respect the fact that he's like, Heavy is the head. So if I'm wearing the crown, that means I want my I want my just do when things go right. And if things are going off the rails, then I got this. Now, we might disagree on what that means by I got this because we might disagree on the strategy. But I do respect the fact that like to be mayor is to be an executive. I mean, I, I teach this every semester in in my politics courses. I mean, you are the executive of the city. This is the job that, you know, my my best friend, LBJ, you know, as he said before, when he was the president, he was like, ugh, this job is the worst. He's like, but I could be mayor. That's even harder. And to be mayor of New York City is not for the faint of heart. And I think he is, as much as, you know, the stories are like, where are these receipts from this 14 times at one restaurant? Where are, you know, the receipts from Zero Bond? As much as it seems as though the mayor's like, I got to taste this nightlife, he at least thus far is showing up and like is interested. I think he's like, I think that's maybe where my respect lies. He's interested in the city. Now, I do have preguntas about where the policies are going to come from and I want to see some. But that's not to say that they're not there. It's just they have not been articulated to me. And I would like to see more of that. I don't think they're entirely there. I think this is a brilliant political thinker who, unlike de Blasio, who is a strategist, right, for other people and a campaign operative for a long time and never got fully comfortable with himself as the principal. Mm -hmm. Eric Adams, going back to his uh, cop days and 100 blacks in law enforcement, like he's been the performer and his own strategist. And he is great at that role, understanding the political stage, the issues he's trying to frame, how he can use himself and his own biography and life to do that. And he's a New York guy, like he's regular. He grew up here. He made himself. It's very uh, impressive and refreshing uh, after the last couple of mayors. But for all that, I don't know that there is policy implementation. I'm worried that we have policies that come up because things get embarrassing at press conferences and are brought to his attention in those sorts of ways. And then he says stuff. And then the competent people he has who are supposed to be implementing things have to adjust and redecide on that basis that it's getting retconned off of his riffs. And it's different when you're the guy 
which is what Adams has been up till now as a gadfly police officer, as a state senator and in the mostly ceremonial office of borough president. Then when you're running this gigantic hundred plus billion dollar, hundreds of thousands of employees, administrative state and trying to translate your rifts into actions, both regularly and steadily over time. Mm-hmm. And as things constantly come up and uh, force your attention and a response. Yeah, I think, and I don't want to sort of use this as a lazy excuse, but I think this is like a classic case of time will tell. And I don't want to sort of pass the buck where it's like, yeah, well, you know, we got to give it time. But I do think that with this administration, time will be the revealer of all things. Do we tell? Do we tell our audience about the bet we made? Never mind, audience. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. It's uh, we got uh, we've been asking uh, Mayor Adams to come on this podcast. There's been conversation about that. He came on, of course, right before formally announcing. But when he was, in fact, running for mayor, we had a very lively and enjoyable in-person conversation. He's not been back since. We'd love to have him on if he joins us in the next six months. Professor Greer has to take me and some Harry Siegel out to uh, out to dinner. And in the event he does not, uh, I have to pay to take Christina Greer to dinner. And the good news is whoever wins, the taxpayers will not lose here. <laughs> now. We have to see. And the thing is, and and here's, you know, I'm sure the mayor's folks listen to this. So I'm just going to say this. Because we've been doing this, Harry, for a long time. Since 2018. Shout out to Ozzy Paper. Um, but I think what what I like about our conversations is we're honest and we're fair. I don't have an agenda. You know I love two things. I'm very clear. Cities and Black people. So I'm pretty basic in that sense. And I think I, I, I'd be willing to put money on it. Eric Adams loves cities and Black people, too. And so to have a conversation about our differing strategies and how we see policies playing out would be really interesting, I would argue. And as you, you know, a lifetime, lifetime New Yorker, I think we'd have a great conversation. So the invitation still stands. The mayor knows, you know, it's here. Just because we disagree sometimes doesn't mean that we are disagreeable. And look, shout out to the press people and Derek Adams, who, again, is his own strategist and I think likes to do as many five minute interviews where he knows he he can he can sort of run his riffs, set the agenda and show up enough to say that he is represented to the press without getting further into things. He is a smart, thoughtful person who's been in the public stage for decades. And yeah, he takes questions of pressers and in other settings, but like having an in-depth conversation with other New Yorkers who love this city, who, look, we work for a nonprofit newsroom now. The point of this pod has never been to like make cheap news or trick someone into a headline. We just want to be able to sit down and go through. And I know that there are other New Yorkers who think similarly, who'd like to hear the mayor do that. And go through those paces. Uh, we're we're ready. I hope Eric Adams is. Um, and you know, in any case, all of us like we live here are one hundred percent wishing him the best. Like, let's go New York. Go Mets. Not looking good. Harry, let's not start this day off on the wrong foot. F A Q. 
Thank you for listening to FAQ NYC. We're now part of The City, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc slash donate if you'd like to pitch in. Our hosts this week were Professor Christina Greer and Harry Siegel, who's also our executive producer. We are headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and Research, and are also a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of independent journalists, critics, and artists online at thebrick.house. I'm your audio engineer, Adam Camara, and thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more. Yeah, I mean, my dad has always had that. It was always interesting traveling because, you know, when he had hair, I mean, now he's, you know, very little hair, but he had, you know, black hair and like Mm -hmm. a a short fro growing up and this very dark mustache and he was always tan. So it's like sometimes, like if he was with Middle Easterners, he looks Middle Eastern. Mm -hmm. If he's Mm -hmm. with, you know, Dominicans, he's Dominican. So going to, and my parents used to, my mom worked for the airlines, so they'd go to South America all the time Mm because it's cheap, it's hot, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. wonderful. And... Let's just say we spent a lot of time waiting for daddy to clear customs growing up. And, you know, he always travels in like the blue Brooks Brothers blazer, the khakis, the like, you know, leather loafers. None of that matters because they're like, sir, you've got Ecuador and Nicaragua and Colombia on your passport. You know, you're going to Europe all the time. Like, what the fuck is this? And who are you? (laughs) But as my grandfather said, you know, never trust a man who doesn't eat meat. Never trust a man with no facial hair. Which is so interesting because all of my white friends, their grandfathers said the opposite. Never trust a man with facial hair. And I was like, what's that about? And they're like, well, kind of like facial hair is ethnic. And I was like, no facial hair is the state. Police, military. So my grandfather's like, no, you need something. <laughs>